I really feel an urging from the Lord that we need to understand what's going on in the world around us. And God's people need to be able to understand and interpret world events through the prism of God's Word. If we don't have God's Word, then we're just as confused as everyone else. But if we know and understand God's Word, we will not be confused. Even in these confusing, dark, perilous times in which we are living. And I think most people, even non-believers, understand that we're in the last days now. They understand that. There's just some innate understanding that most people on the street now understand that something's happening in the world. Something's going on. America is not the same nation it was five years ago. The world is totally different from what it was ten years ago. And things are happening very, very rapidly. And sometimes you can kind of freak out and like, what is going on? But if you know the Word of God, the Word of God will give us a framework and a worldview from which to operate. I want to share a portion of one of my favorite subjects, which is end times, because we're there. We're in the end times. And very often as I'm praying, the Lord brings back to my mind the scripture in the Old Testament. I think it's in Chronicles. It refers to the sons of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel. They were noted out of all the tribes for one thing. They could understand the times. And that's no easy task. There, there are a lot of things to understand about our times. But somehow, they were able to cut through things and understand what was really going on. And the Apostle Paul echoes that when he writes to the Romans. And he says, understanding the time that the night is far spent and the day is almost at hand. We must put off our sleep and our slumber, put off carnality and get ready for the time in which we're living. So I'm going to be teaching on something that I believe is extremely important. It may be new for a few of you, and it may be a little deep for some of you, but I'm, I'm going anyway because I feel an urging to share on this. I want to talk to you this afternoon about the restrainer, the restrainer. And we're going to be focusing primarily on First and Second Thessalonians, and in particularly the second chapter of Second Thessalonians. But before we get there, let me give a little bit of background and introduction. You've heard me quote a scripture often from Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, We who know the Lord, we who understand the Word of God, we see the day approaching. You know, if you're on a train and you're approaching your next stop, you see it approaching. You see that you're getting closer. Somehow your mind is processing the, the landmarks and the things that you're seeing and you realize, I'm getting closer to where I'm supposed to be. Well, if you're walking in the Spirit, if you know the Word of God, if you really have the Spirit of God in you, you can interpret things that are happening around you in light of the day, capital D. What's the day? 
Well, the day is the day when Jesus is coming for his bride. And we see that day approaching. It's not something that puts fear in our heart. Quite the contrary. It encourages us. It comforts us. It excites us. It brings great joy into our hearts. Because it's the wedding day. And we'll look at some scriptures about that a little later on. But Jesus is getting married. How many of you understand that? Jesus is getting married. If you don't know the Bible, that sounds like heresy, but it's in the Bible. Jesus is getting married, and he's marrying his bride. And you and I have been called and invited, and the Bible says, Blessed is the one who's been invited to that event. And I don't know about you, but nothing excites me more than being joined with Jesus in heaven to spend eternity there. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more ISIS, no more darkness, no more sin. We are getting ready for that day. It's a great day. It's a glorious day. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus was very clear that no one is going to know the exact date. And if you hear a prophet on TV or radio telling you he knows the date, he's figured out the date, turn off the TV, switch the channels, he's a false prophet. Because even Jesus doesn't know the day and the hour. He doesn't know. And I don't know if you've thought about that much, but I have. And somehow I just envision Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Father's the only one that knows. And he's there just waiting. Can I go yet, Father? Is it time yet, Father? He doesn't know. And the Father is going to give the signal. Now, go get your bride. Listen to what he says here. Matthew 24, from verse 36. No one. Now, you know I'm going to do this. What does no one mean? No one. I do this because sometimes we miss important things in the Bible. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven. So if some dude says, oh, an angel flew down and revealed it to me, turn off the TV. Angels don't know. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That's a very important scripture. And you need to know your Bible to understand that. You need to go back and read Genesis 6, 7, and 8 to find out how it was in the days of Noah. The Bible is very clear how it was in the days of Noah. The whole earth was filled with violence, wickedness. No, nobody could even think a good thought. Everybody's thought was evil, violent, and wicked. That's how it was in the days of Noah. But Jesus curiously, says nothing at all about violence. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We're not going to know the day or the hour, but we're going to recognize the season. We're going to know when we're in the season, because it's going to be like it was in Noah's day. But here's what he says. In the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Anything wrong with any of that? Not at all. 
He doesn't mention they were killing each other, stabbing each other, raping each other. He doesn't mention any of that. That was happening, but that's not his point. Here's his point. In the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing. Say that with me. They knew nothing. That's his point. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We can look for something in the world and in the culture around us as we're getting nearer to the coming of the Lord. People are going to be completely clueless. They're not going to know what's going on. Hello? There's a video that went viral this past week. Some of you might have seen it. It's a classic. I, I was trying to get it to bring here today, but not really necessary. In this video, there's a group of sorority girls. These were not supernatural women. Sorority girls who had gone to a Major League Baseball game. And the game's going on. Matter of fact, the home team that they went to see, one of the players has just hit a line drive hit into the outfield, and everybody's cheering, you know, the baseball game. And this whole group of sorority girls is sitting on the bleachers, totally oblivious to the baseball game. They have no idea who's playing. They have no idea what the score is. They don't even know that their home team just scored some runs. Every single one of them, I'm not making this up, every single one of them is sitting on the bleachers taking selfies with their cell phones. Every one of them. How times have changed. I didn't know what a selfie was a few years ago. One of my high school students had to educate me. Pastor Pratt, you don't know what a selfie is? You've never taken a selfie? What is my point? They were so wrapped up in themselves and their little toys and their little gizmos, the world around them faded out. And I think there's a real statement in that video that you can take to a much higher level in our culture that many, many people are so involved in themselves in their own lives, in their little gizmos and gadgets and entertainment. They don't have a clue what's happening. And the rain clouds are gathering. The ark has been finished. The door on the ark is about to shut. And the rains and the floods are about to come. And most people are clueless. This is what Jesus is saying we're going to recognize in the last days, just before he comes back. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch 
and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Some years ago, I had a dream or a vision. I can't even remember which it was, but it's so vivid. It's like I'm seeing it again right now. And in this vision, I saw the darkest storm clouds. And I've seen some pretty amazing storms, especially in the tropics where I've spent a number of years of my ministry. I've seen some pretty amazing storm clouds gather in the, in the sky. And this was unlike anything I'd ever seen. So dark, so fearful, so ominous. And I was like afraid in this dream. And then all of a sudden, I realized it was back in the days of Noah. And then all I saw was all of these people, they looked like little ants, because I was seeing it from a higher perspective. All of the people were just running around, laughing, partying, joking, having a wonderful time, and just like it says in the scripture, totally oblivious to the sky. And in my in my spirit, I'm like, hey, wake up, open your eyes, the, the storm is coming. And they're all just partying and having a great time. The part about the dream that still haunts me to this day wasn't what I saw next. It's what I heard. I heard the door of the ark shut. If you know your Bible, you know what that means. No more people, no more animals were getting in. Their fate, their doom was now sealed. My friends, we're close. We're close to that door shutting. The storm clouds are gathering. The sky is getting darker and darker. And most people are so busy with their parties and their dancing and their games and their selfies and their internet and their cell phones and all this and that and the other, they have no clue how close we are to that. Most people, and I'm going to even include a lot of Christians here, so if I step on your toes, so be it. Most people know more about Dancing with the Stars, American Idol, Fantasy Football, Eminem and Jay-Z than they do about Putin, ISIS, Assad, and Netanyahu. And if you don't have a clue about those four names I just mentioned, you better wake up, my friend, because there's stuff happening in the world that is going to affect you and affect me and affect the church right here. But we're too busy with dancing with the stars and fantasy football and all this other stuff. Let me give you a very brief, what I would like to call a rapture update. I do these from time to time. Trying to interpret what's going on in the world in light of Scripture. We don't have time today, but there's extensive prophecy in the Bible concerning what I believe is Russia and an alliance of other nations that are to the north of Israel. And they will eventually unite with one common goal, to attack Israel. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And Ezekiel 38 and 39 refer to Gog and Magog. And for almost 40 years now, I've been teaching that Gog is Russia. 
And then, of course, the Soviet Union broke apart, and everybody thought, oh, Russia is now everybody's friend. I've never bought that. Never bought that. Well, if you know anything about what's going on in the world, they're not our friends. They're not anybody's friends. And some very frightening things are happening, and they're accelerating. And again, the world is pretty much clueless. They don't even know who Putin is. They don't even know where Russia is. They don't care because it's way over there somewhere. But in 2014, right after the Olympics finished in Russia, literally they were still taking down the stands and the stadiums, Putin's tanks roll into the Ukraine and he annexes Crimea, a very strategic peninsula on the northern shore of the Black Sea, due north of Israel. Hmm. Interesting. The world said, bad boy, you shouldn't do that. Guess what? He did it. Crimea is now his. This past week, there was an amazing military incursion and buildup in Syria by Russia. Most of the world, clueless. Why? What does that matter, Pastor? Who cares about Syria? Who cares about all that stuff? Well, let me, let me help you with just a few facts here. He has now set up his own airfield in Syria. They're flying bombers over Syria and bombing They've told the world that they're bombing ISIS, extremist Islamic groups, but actually that's not what's happening. They're bombing other groups who were trying to rebel against Assad, who is the murderous dictator of Syria, who is believed to have killed maybe 300,000 of his own people, including gassing them. You know, when we hear about Hitler and what he did under the Third Reich, we all say, oh, that's terrible. That's horrible what Hitler did to the Jews. Well, it's happening now. And the world is just looking the other way. Oh, we don't know what's happening there. Putin is up to something. He is now bombing Syria. He is moving tanks, ground troops into Syria. And those who seem to understand the inner workings believe that something very major is happening before our very eyes. Putin and Syria and Iran are all uniting together. It's a very strange alliance. The Muslims used to hate Russia, but now suddenly they're best friends. And it's interesting that Putin is not bombing ISIS, the ones who are beheading Christians. He's bombing the so-called good guys that are still left there in Syria. By the way, just to give you a little insight into the spirit that's behind ISIS, uh, about oh, a week or ten days ago now, 11 dear Christian missionaries working in Syria were given several opportunities to A, leave, and B, to deny the faith and save their lives. They refused. They stood firm for their faith, and all 11 of them were crucified, left on their crosses for two days, and beheaded. God bless them. 
Man, is there a crown for them in heaven. Oh, to be a martyr like that for the Lord. We're seeing it with our own eyes. This stuff is happening in the world, but we're too busy taking selfies. Last week, we heard about the shooting in Oregon. Just another madman shooting up a bunch of people, right? This one was a little different. The reports that have come out indicate that he gave his victims an opportunity to declare what their religion was. If they were Christians, they knew they were going to get a bullet to the head. If they were not Christians, he might have shot them in the foot or the leg. Eight brave students apparently said, I'm a Christian. Go ahead. And they're no longer with us. But you know, this thing's getting closer to home now. It's getting a lot closer to home, but like I said, we're still too busy with our selfies and dancing with the stars and fantasy football. And I'm not against any of those things, but I'm saying if we're not careful, we can become just like that generation that Jesus said would be prevalent in the last days. They knew nothing about what was about to happen. There are headlines regularly now on all of the national newspapers and news lines. This is not a coincidence. This is a change, a quantum shift that we've witnessed in 2015. Major U.S. cities, including D.C. and Baltimore, are in a lot of these headline reports. Many major U.S. cities have seen a 60 to 80% increase in murder and violent crimes this year. Now, you may think, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, we're almost doubling how many were murdered in all these major cities over where we were last year. Last year, it wasn't any cakewalk. What's the point? Violence. More lawlessness. More violence. Jesus said we would see these things. I would estimate now that about 90%, listen to me carefully here, about 90% of all of the media, radio, TV, newspaper, print media, internet, about 90% of the entire media now is strongly anti-Christian. Strongly anti-Christian. Oh, you can, you can bash Christians without any shame. But don't dare say anything bad about anyone else. And they twist stories. They lie. They cover up. They deceive and they bring vicious attacks against anyone who stands for God. You know, I have been so enjoying Dr. Ben Carson in the presidential campaign. Whether or not he becomes the next president remains to be seen. But his very presence in the media every day has been a breath of fresh air. He's a bold Christian. He stands for the word of God. He doesn't back down when the media tries to kowtow him or scare him away. He says, I meant what I said. And if you want to debate me on that, I'll be happy to. He doesn't believe in gay marriage. He doesn't believe in abortion. Praise God for a man like that that'll stand up and say what he believes. But you know what? Now suddenly the rules have changed 
And it's okay to bash him because he's a Christian. It doesn't matter what his skin color is because now it's open season because he's a Christian. This past week he was called racial epithets I've not heard since I was in grade school. But that's okay. Why? He's a Christian. The liberal media would be having just a heart attack if anything like that had been spoken about President Obama. Racist, racist, racist! But it's okay to have a full-page article about Dr. Ben Carson and say, F. Ben Carson. That's where we've come to. The media is about 90% owned by anti-Christian groups and entities. Now, this all sounds pretty depressing, but I'm not done yet today. I'm just laying the groundwork. Now I want to talk to you about the restrainer. And if you'll follow with me, I think this is going to do a couple of things for you. It's going to stir you up to be more on fire for God, pray more, preach more, stand more firm in your faith. It's also going to help you to understand the timeline and where we are right now in God's program. And it's going to encourage you, even in light of all the negative stuff I just told you about. It's going to encourage you. Okay? You ready? Fasten your seatbelts. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 12. Second Thessalonians 2 from verse 1 to 12. If you're at all familiar with Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians, almost every chapter in both of his letters deal with the rapture, the Antichrist, end times, or the coming of the Lord. What's even more interesting is when he first started writing to the Thessalonians, these were baby Christians. Paul had only spent three weeks with these people from the time they were converted. And here he is talking to them about very deep theological, eschatological things, if you want a real fancy theological word, end times things. And you know, God did something in my own life that has helped me with this. Um, I've often heard preachers say, oh, you better wait till they've been in the church for a couple years before you start teaching on the rapture and the book of Revelation. Some pastors are still afraid of the book of Revelation. Well, about a week after I got saved in California, two major things came to town, and I ha happened to believe God did it just for me. Now, that sounds a little bit selfish, but, you know, sometimes we need to believe that God loves us that we're special to him? After all, the Apostle John, how does he refer to himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Might help you to go around this week saying, I'm the one Jesus loves. Yeah, really. Jesus loves me. He loves me. You're special to him. I'm special to him. He'll do special stuff for you. Anyway, I'm in California. I've just gotten saved. I had this huge battle with evolution, and I've shared that in my book, how God sends Dr. Dwayne Gish to the campus of the man who led me to the Lord to do a two-day debate on evolution versus creation. By the way, another side note about Dr. Ben Carson, he's driving these liberal media nuts completely out of their brains. 
the other night they were, oh, just exploding on the TV saying, this man can't be president, he's a nut job. A nut job. Everybody knows who Dr. Ben Carson is, right? Famous world neurosurgeon. I never knew this before. This man in his 33 years of career as a surgeon performed 15,000 surgeries. 15,000 surgeries. And he's a nut job. Yeah, 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 nut job. How can we have a nut job like him in the White House? He doesn't believe in evolution. He believes in creation. Oh, that disqualifies you from being president now. That's interesting. I thought we were endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. What happened to the creator now? He can't come into the White House? This is political correctness really going berserko now. Anyway, I got through that part. I no longer believed in evolution. I now understood creation. But somebody gave me this book on the book of Revelation, and I started reading it, and I got so confused. Man, I was about to blow a circuit in my brain. And lo and behold, the man who led me to the Lord, he comes home with another flyer one day. He says, look, brother, there's a special service they're doing in such and such a place. Dr. Hal Lindsey, who had just written his book, Late Great Planet Earth, is going to be talking about the rapture and the end times. I went to that meeting, and I heard things there that I had never heard in my life. I didn't know what a rapture was. I didn't know who the beast, the Antichrist. I didn't know about any of these terms. And I got the whole thing in one hour. But you know what it did? It stirred me up, and from that point on, a seed was planted in me to study the Scriptures and find out what God has to say about end times. Well, the Thessalonians were famous for Paul's teaching them about these things, and we'll see that a little later on here. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't waste any time. Concerning that, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, 
whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now, let me, let me try to boil this down. There are a lot of different views on end times, and I respect people who have different views. I'm going to be very simple and very clear with you what my view is. I believe, here's the order, rapture of the church, Antichrist is revealed and manifested. We begin a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. It ends with the Battle of Armageddon, and then we're ushered into a thousand years of peace called the Millennium, followed by the Eternal Kingdom. Now, if you've never heard any of that before, you'll have to take my word for it right now. We can, we can study that. We've done it before, and we've taken months and months and months to study what I just said in one sentence. But to me, these verses we just read is one of the strongest proofs for that position. And again, I have friends, I have pastors who hold different positions. Um, it doesn't affect my love and fellowship for them. Uh, I just pray for them because they're wrong and I'm right. No, I'm <laughs> But here's something for you to consider in light of what we just read. The Thessalonian church was upset. That's why Paul's writing to them. Something had happened to this church. They were unsettled. They were alarmed. And apparently somebody had given them a prophecy or had written a letter, possibly even forging it in Paul's name, basically saying, the rapture has come and gone. We're now in the day of the Lord. We're now in the tribulation. They were upset. And so Paul is trying to calm them down now and say, look, I'm writing this to you so that you would not be easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Now, tuck that away because we need to talk about what is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, Paul is very clear here, had not come yet. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come until two things happen. The rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. He's talking about the Antichrist, the beast, referred to in Revelation chapter 13. Can't happen until he is fully revealed. And for years, you know, Christians have sat around in little circles, tried to use different methods to figure out who the Antichrist is. Oh, when I first got saved, it was Henry Kissinger. Everybody was convinced Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. Then it was this one, then it was that one, then it was this one. We don't know. We won't know because he's not been revealed yet. We do know what he's going to do once he is. 
He's anti-Christ. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. My friends, this is coming on planet Earth. This is coming. It's coming. Now, the Thessalonians apparently thought the rapture had come and gone, and they were now in the tribulation. That would be pretty good reason for them being unsettled and worried. But follow my logic here. If Paul had been teaching the Thessalonians that the church will go through the tribulation and then Jesus will be coming back for you, they should have all been rejoicing now. Praise God. We're almost there. A few more years of tribulation and then Jesus is coming back. But if Paul had taught them that the rapture is an escape from coming events, as Jesus taught in Luke chapter 21, if it's an escape from that coming dark time called the tribulation, and they had missed it, hmm, that would explain why they were upset. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. And let's talk about this term, day of the Lord. It's very important that we understand this whole passage uh, in light of that term, day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5, from verse 1 to 9. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well. Notice again, Paul, in three weekends, you can verify this in the book of Acts, chapter 17, Paul had only been in Thessalonica for three weeks, three Sabbaths, he taught these people. I don't know how he did it. Well, I do know how, because in some of his meetings, he stayed all night, and people were falling asleep and falling out of the window. be difficult to do that nowadays, because after half an hour, people are looking at their watches in church. Football game, Pastor? we got to get out of here, man. We don't have time for this Bible stuff. They would go all night when Paul was in town because they were hungry for the word. They were hungry for the truth. Somehow in three weeks, he was now able to say, I don't even need to write to you about times and dates because I've already taught you all this. You know very well about the day of the Lord. What did they know? You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How many of you would like a thief to break into your house tonight? No? Nobody likes that? Huh. Day of the Lord's going to come like that. While people are saying peace and safety, reminds me of the sorority girls taking selfies. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, just like it did in Noah's day. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Rapture is an escape. Luke 21, 36 is very clear. Watch, pray, get ready so that you can escape all these things that are coming. But they won't escape. But notice how Paul flips back and forth between them and you. But you, verse 4, but you, brothers, are not in darkness 
so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Not supposed to happen. If you're walking in light, this day is not going to surprise you like a thief. The day of the Lord coming like a thief is for the people in darkness. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We do not belong to the night. I like that. Say that with me. We do not belong to the night. I don't belong to this fallen world, this fallen Antichrist culture. I don't belong to it. I don't want to. I don't want to conform. I don't want to be a part of it. Paul says you don't belong to it. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled for those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, get drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I challenge you, study your Bible. Look at every reference in the Bible to the day of the Lord. Every one of them is negative. It's a day of shaking. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of wrath. It's a day of darkness. It's never a good thing. And Paul ends this whole discussion saying, God did not appoint us to wrath. He appointed us to salvation. We are not like those who are going to be surprised by the day of the Lord like a thief in the night. I know movies have been made, books have been read. I still hear Christian songs talking about Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. Not for me, brother. Not for me. And we read at the beginning in Matthew 24, and let's go back there. Matthew 24, 42 to 44. Okay. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had not known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Everywhere you find this in the New Testament, Jesus coming like a thief in the night, it's for those that are asleep, not those that are watching, not those that are prepared, not those that understand the times. I, I hate to keep beating this point, but I want everybody to see this clearly. Look in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, the seven churches, one of them was a sleepy church, a dead church. And Christ addresses each church depending on their state, depending on their condition. And in Revelation 3, starting with verse 1, the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! You know, just because we're New Life Ministries, that name doesn't mean we're alive. Okay? They had an aim. They had a reputation of being alive, but they were dead. Wake up! 
strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Listen very carefully to the next verse. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. Okay? But if you do not, uh-oh, if I don't want to obey, if I don't want to repent, if I really don't want to wake up, what are my options? If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Every single reference is the same. His coming like a thief is not a good thing. That's the day of the Lord. In my interpretation of this, what he's saying is, you better be careful that you're going to miss the rapture and you're going to be left behind for that period of darkness. And it's going to surprise you. You're not even going to know what's happening. You'll be there like the sorority girls clicking selfies. And boom! Destruction comes. 2 Thessalonians 2, let's go back there now. Two things Paul said must take place before the day of the Lord. Number one, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, must be revealed. We saw that in verse 3. He must be revealed. And now we come to my main point. That 45 minutes was all introduction. <laughs> the second thing that has to happen, and I pray God, can we pray right now? Father, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Take away preconceived notions, what we thought we knew about end times or about the Bible. Holy Spirit, enlighten us. We want to understand the times. Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us, guide us into all truth so that we can understand these times in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The second thing that has to happen, and I want to really zero in now on verses 6, 7, and 8 in Second Thessalonians again, chapter 2. The restrainer, you don't find that term here in NIV, but the concept is here. The restrainer must be removed. And now you know, apparently they knew, Paul had taught them enough. They knew what he was talking about. You know what is holding him, the Antichrist, back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Just hold it right there. Something, something is holding back the Antichrist. He would like to take over the world today, but he can't. Because something, you know what is holding him back. Now, next verse. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Does everybody bear witness with that? <laughs> it's already working. Secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Let me take it a step further. First John 2, verses 18 and 19. John says, the Antichrist is coming. You all know that. He had taught them too. And there are already many antichrists. Little antichrists. Hitler was an antichrist. No doubt about it. That man was an antichrist. Not the antichrist. He came and he's gone. By the way, most of you have probably heard of Louis Farrakhan, leader of the nation of Islam. That man's an antichrist. 
I'll say it boldly and plainly. He's an antichrist. He came out this past week and declared now he's the Messiah. I've never heard anyone so full of hate, so full of racism, so filled with antichrist spirits. Well, now it's plain. I'm the Messiah. How anyone can follow that spirit, but that leads to a bigger question. How is the whole world going to follow the antichrist one day soon? It's called deception. So there's coming an antichrist. There are already many antichrists. The secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Follow me here. Now it changes. It's not a what. The one. Say that with me. The one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he. We went from what to one to he till he is taken out of the way. This is a bit difficult to understand. And I'm going to share with you what I have believed for years. And if anyone has a better explanation, I'm open. I would welcome any thoughts on this. But here's how I see it. Whoever this one is, and by the way, if you look up this verse in the New King James, they actually replace one with capital H-E, he, till he who now holds it back will continue to do so until capital H-E, he, is taken out of the way. Obviously, there's some divine power operating here to be able to hold back the full power of Satan. Because Second Thessalonians goes on to talk about the Antichrist will be fully embodied with Satan. Satanic powers, miracles, counterfeit wonders, and the whole nine yards. So he has the power to restrain the Antichrist. That's why I call him the restrainer. Who is he? Who is he? He is holding back all of this darkness, holding back the spirits of Antichrist. Secret power of lawlessness is already at work. We already see Antichrists popping up around the world, but the Antichrist cannot be manifested yet. Here, I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell, and then we're going to look at a few scriptures to back it up. He, of course, is referring to both the Holy Spirit and the Bride of Christ that he inhabits. He is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit and the bride are becoming one. You can't remove one without removing the other. So they must be taken out of the way before the Antichrist can fully manifest. Now, Christ's bride, I mentioned earlier, is preparing for her wedding day. That's you and me. You're getting married. Did you know that? You've been called anyway. You know, when you get a wedding invitation, you better RSVP. Have you RSVP'd his invitation? Or are you still thinking about it? I heard recently in the news, somebody had a high food wedding, and they invited all their guests, and a couple people didn't RSVP, and they didn't show up, and they're charging them money now. Yeah. <laughs> God's not going to charge you money if you don't RSVP. You're just going to miss out on everything, my friend. Revelation 19, as uh, 
Brother Nigel mentioned in his eloquent pastor's appreciation speech, life isn't always easy, is it? Is it? Oh, okay. Just making sure you're still there. Life isn't always easy. And some mornings when you wake up, the sun is shining like today. The birds are singing. Other mornings, it's dark. And you're wondering, why should I even get up? What am I living for? I'm going to suggest to you, this is why we live. This is why I live. This is why I get up every morning. It's not that I'm hoping for a better president or a better Congress or a better Redskins team. Sorry, brother. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> There's more to life than all that. Revelation 19, starting at verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. What are they so excited about? Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Man, we waited a long time for this one, but it's finally come. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. One more verse. Then the angel said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Jesus is getting married. He's getting married. The wedding day is fast approaching. But here's the most amazing thing about the bride of Christ that I can find in the entire New Testament. A little further along in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. And this is all going to tie together. Trust me, we're almost done. Revelation 22, 17. I think you all recognize I'm one entity. Pastor Quasi is another entity, right? We're two different people. Now, we might say the same thing in unison, but it's still two people talking, right? The Spirit and the Bride say, wait, we got the Spirit and we got the Bride. Two entities, but just one voice. The Spirit and the Bride are united together in such a way that they are now one voice. Amen. Did you hear what I just said? This is what God is calling you and me to be in the Bride of Christ. To be so one with the Holy Spirit, you cannot separate them. The Spirit and the Bride are saying, Come. Almost seems like they have the same passion, the same obsession, if I can use that word. What are they obsessed about? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him who hears. Can you hear today? Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water 
of life. The restrainer that's mentioned in 2 Thessalonians is both the Holy Spirit and the church infilled, led by, empowered by, intertwined with the Holy Spirit. And to remove one, you've got to remove the other. Now here's a question that always comes up. Wait, 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 Pastor. How can you take the Holy Spirit out of here? He's everywhere, right? Well, He's always been everywhere. But He came on the day of Pentecost in a whole new dimension. And He's going to leave the same way He came. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is about to be a thing of history. There will be no baptism in the Holy Spirit during the Great Tribulation. On the day of Pentecost, something happened that had never happened before. Jesus was very clear. This hasn't happened yet. I must first be glorified before the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Paraclete, the Comforter can come and not just give you goosebumps and give you a few little languages to speak. He's going to come and live in you forever. Live in you forever. So now we cannot be separated. So the church must be removed before the Antichrist can be manifested. The Spirit-filled church must be taken out of the way to make way for the darkness and the Antichrist. Now, here's the challenge for you and for me. The Spirit-filled church, we are the salt and the light that's holding back all the decay, all the corruption, and all the darkness. We're the only thing that's holding it back. Our preaching, our interceding, our just standing, as Paul talks in Ephesians 6, all of those things, resisting the devil is what's holding him back. You get all the intercessors, get all the preachers, all the spirit-filled men and women of God around this earth, get them all off planet earth, what have you got left? The Great Tribulation. I saw a verse that somehow has escaped me, at least the full power of it, all these years, in Revelation chapter 2, back to one of the other churches. We know about the Ephesian church, they have left their first love. And Christ calls them to repent and come back and do the first works. They had cooled off, they had stopped doing a lot of the things they did when they were first saved. But this other church is very different. Listen to this. Revelation 2, verses 18 and 19. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Whoa. How many of us can say that about our Christian life? I'm doing more for Christ than I did. When I first got saved, that's a real challenge. And I'm ashamed to tell you God has been convicting me of late that I'm not doing near what I did in the first year I was saved. Baby Christian, doing a whole lot more for the kingdom than I am now. This stirs me up. I want to do more. More. I want to do more now than I did at the first. The Spirit-filled church, we got to step it up. Preach harder, preach more, be bolder, 
Pray more, intercede more, resist the devil more. You don't have to be at a prayer meeting to do that. You can be at your computer at work, driving on the metro, driving down the highway. You don't have to make a big scene, but you can be there. Fine, you devil, I come against that spirit of Antichrist. Get out. Push you back. You're not manifesting yourself as long as I'm on the watch. Take your stand. We should be so much opposing Satan's works and the spirit of Antichrist that we have to be removed before he can be revealed. The church age is going to end soon with the rapture. And after that, the Bible tells us what it's going to be like. Unprecedented darkness and evil. Things are bad enough now, but this isn't it yet, folks. This is just the secret power of lawlessness at work. we got some little antichrists like Farrakhan roaming around, but the antichrist is yet to come. You and I have a great challenge. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be one with the Holy Spirit. Stand in the gap. Be the one that's there saying, no, you're not coming any further. You're not touching my kids. You're not touching my neighborhood. You're not touching my school. You're not touching my family. you got to come through me, and I'm standing here in the name of Jesus Christ, fully armed with the armor of God, full of the Holy Spirit, praying, interceding, and declaring God's word against you. Get back, get back, get back. Hallelujah. Finally, from 2 Thessalonians, let's all stand, and we're going to read verses 13 to 17 together. Very encouraging end to this whole discussion that Paul had with the Thessalonians. His whole purpose for writing to them was to encourage them. They had gotten a little bit shaken up with some of these reports they had heard. He wanted to clarify things and let them understand, look, the end hasn't come yet. Basically, what I think he was saying is, you got to be removed for first before that can happen. Because the Holy Spirit in you yes. is restraining yes. that secret power of lawlessness. You ready? From verse 13. It's on the screen. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm, hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word of encouragement today. Eternal encouragement. We thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding, making us like the sons of Issachar to understand the times. That you, God, have an agenda. You have a program. And you are the one calling the shots. And you poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to dwell in your church. God, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would come to that place of perfect unity where the Spirit and the Bride are saying the same thing. And they're saying, come. Come, Lord Jesus.
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Wedding day, come, come, come. Lord, I pray that your church throughout the earth would understand her place in the world in these last days. Filled with the Holy Spirit, armed with the full armor of God, standing against the powers of Antichrist, standing against the powers of darkness, putting the enemy on notice that we're going to stand against you and you must retreat. You must back off. You must flee in Jesus' name. God, help us to know who we are, what you have placed within us, so that we can function to our fullest in these last days. God, let us be like the Thyatira church, doing more now than we did in the beginning. Stir us up. Give us boldness to preach your word. Give us boldness to trust in you, to stand firm even in these dark times. And soon, and very soon, you will return. Help us, O oh God, to have that hope fixed in our hearts each and every day that we live. Bless each and every one now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord.